Hey guys, I'm Annie, and I'm here to read our scripture reading for this week. And so it comes from 1 Thessalonians 3, 6-13. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. How we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill the gaps in your faith. May God our Father and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May He, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father and when our Lord Jesus comes again with all His holy people. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've spent the last few weeks together in 1 Thessalonians uh, talking about what it means for us to live as people who believe in the current reality and the future reality of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God on the earth, what it means for us to live as a future person, uh, to live today based on what we believe is both here and on its way. And we have, um, honestly, a little bit by accident, looked at two of the three theological virtues of the New Testament, uh, hope and love. And so this week, I thought we would follow Paul's letter and talk about the third, uh, which is faith. So uh, faith, faith is something that we've talked about a lot here at the Vineyard, um, because of the three, faith, hope, and love, uh, the one I wrestle with the most is faith. So it tends to be something that I talk about a lot. Um, I wrestle with it, and I wrestle with how to define it and how to nail it down. Um, so uh, again, we, we've talked about this a lot, so, so this isn't necessarily a new sermon, um, but I think good things are worth repeating, and even if I'm only repeating them to myself, um, because I need them. So faith, it is a word, uh, that is constantly used, uh, all over the place. And I think it's one that describes a really confusing idea. Um, it's hard to define, like I said, hard to pinpoint. There are lots of opinions on it. And honestly, um, many of them in the church come out kind of angry. I heard someone say this week in a podcast I was listening to that nobody ever calms down when you look at them and say, calm down. Like, it's not helpful. Um, I think it's similar, <laughs> rather, uh, than doing the hard work of teaching faith. So often what the church has done is just hollered at us that we're supposed to have it. Um, and no one has ever had faith because someone hollers, just have faith. Like, that's not a thing. Or maybe it's, like, too vague of a thing. Uh, faith is far too important and far too complex for us to make it vague or too simple or just go hollering it around at people. A faith that isn't as simple as someone just telling you to have it. Um, faith, it has this mysteriousness about it, this like unknowable part of it. it the idea it seems to is assume or uh, um, imply struggle. Uh, in the verses right before what we read today, the missionary Paul, uh, the writer of the letter, 1 Thessalonians, he, he sent uh, the church in Thessalonica, his buddy Timothy, in order to encourage their faith right in the middle of their struggle. That's what he says. Uh, the very idea of faith, um, it has an assumption of some struggle 
the assumption of something mysterious or maybe confusing or, or, or unknowable or, or hard to just explain. Uh, I've been told a lot that faith is uh, the opposite of doubt. But that doesn't really work, does it? Uh, because so many, I don't know, personally, so many of my greatest moments of faith have also been drenched in doubt. And when we look at the Bible, it's really similar. Sarah and Abraham somehow both believing God would give them a son and laughing at the possibility of a baby being born in their old age. David, who's both steady and unsure. Peter, who looks at Jesus and says, you are Christ, son of the living God. And then two seconds later says, don't die. You don't have to do that. We can work this out another way. Uh, there are plenty, and uh, there are plenty of examples of people being completely wrong, yet having complete assurance, being totally sure, not a doubt in their mind, and yet totally wrong, both in life and in the Bible. Uh, Goliath, the prophets of Baal, Paul before his radical transformation, the Crusades, I could go on. Uh, Paul Tillich, he says, doubt isn't the opposite of faith, it's an element of it. I think the same is true with struggle. Struggle isn't the opposite of faith. I think it's an element of it. Uh, I've told this story before, but it helps me so much when talking about faith. When I was a kid, I sprained my ankle at a summer camp where my parents were working, and I was ticked about it, like so, 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 so mad about it. Um, God doesn't love me mad. I don't know if you've had those moments in your life. Um, for me, every time I stub my toe, I question the existence of God. I don't know, I guess physical pain. But in this moment, as a kid, I'm like, God can't love me and me also have a sprained ankle. Those things can't be true at the same time. And so um, I am ready to stop believing in Jesus because this has happened. Um, maybe you can see why faith is a struggle for me and why I need to talk about it all the time. Um, if I'm ready to like toss Jesus away for a sprained ankle. But um, And also, if only I had known the like actual real struggles that were coming in life. Um, but Anyway, I, um, so I'm ready to toss out everything uh, that I believe when my friend Megan uh, dared me to pray for a miracle. Um, she, Megan, my friend, uh, is still a friend. She was and is defined by great faith. And so she, she dares me to pray for a miracle. And she's like, if we pray for a miracle together and then it happens, then you can believe in Jesus and, and, and everything will be fine. And, and so it's honestly, it's rare for me to turn down a dare. Uh, so we did. She said, what do you want to pray for? What miracle? And I said, snow. And she said, Lindsay, it's July in North Carolina. And I said, that would be a miracle. Uh, and so she did. She prayed. We prayed. She prayed with this uh, unwavering conviction. And I prayed with like an indignant uh, resignation to my doubt and my anger. And then we woke up the next morning and the most incredible thing had happened. Um, just kidding. Uh, there was no snow. Um, there wasn't even like rain or hail. Or, or anything. It was just beautiful North Carolina in July weather. Um, that afternoon we went to town because I needed to get some crutches from a sprained ankle. And um, I'm going to the store. I'm hobbling out of the store because I'm terrible at crutches. And, um, and I see Megan and she's staring at the windows of the store. And she is giggling and she is gasping and she is beaming from ear to ear. And she says, Lens, look! And I look up and, uh, and I saw what I hadn't seen on my way in. And that was that the windows were covered in snow. Covered. Cracked. This cracked painted mural, probably left over from Christmas that no one had taken the time to clear off. There was snow everywhere. 
and I died laughing, and I think kind of like the Grinch, my heart grew two sizes uh, that day. Here's the thing. Uh, the snow on the windows, painted cracked snow on the windows, was hardly a miracle. It was hilarious. The miracle for me uh, was how soft my heart was to it. Snow painted on a window for me in that moment felt like the fingerprints of God uh, in my heart, the mark of a great kindness that existed beyond me in my world. What swelled within me in the moment of seeing this window was faith. It was faith because when I look back on that moment, I uh, wouldn't tell you that snow on, on a window is proof that, that God is real. But what I would tell you is that in that moment, I wanted to claim that kindness. I wanted to claim that miracle more than I wanted anything else. Uh, we've used John Mark Comer to help us define hope and love. So here's how he defines Faith. He says, faith is the cognitive and volitional disposition of trust. I love that. The cognitive and volitional disposition of trust. Cognitive implying it's an intentional choice that we have. And volitional implying struggle and a bending of our will towards something. Being a future person, I think, means having a cognitive and volitional disposition of trust in the person and the promises of God, that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says that he will do. Uh, Frederick Buechner, who has been a good friend to us over the last few weeks, getting quoted a lot, he says, faith is far better understood as a verb than it is as a noun. It's, it's far better understood as a process rather than a possession. Faith, it is not necessarily something that, that we just have. It is something that we actively choose to bend toward. Some people exercise faith, like my friend Megan, uh, with unwavering conviction. Chad is that way. Uh, Daniel, my husband, is that way. My mom, my, my friend Rachel, there are people. Uh, thank God there are lots of people in my life that way. But there are people who, who do exercise faith with unwavering conviction. And there are others like me who with doubt and struggle exercise their faith. But all of these people are exercising faith. Everyone. But uh, now I believe that, that uh, I have, and I have experienced seasons or moments in life where I believe that God gives us a greater deposit of faith. Absolutely. That is, that is absolutely a thing and something that we should ask for and pray for and ask others to pray for us. Uh, but even that implication um, implies that there's more to the process than just possession, a, a turning toward the object of trust in order to get more of it. Here's another example I love. And again, I've used this example before, but it's so helpful to me. Uh, a writer I love is named Robert Capon, and he wrote this um, stirring and wonderful essay on faith called Faith Doesn't Paint Houses, uh, if you want to Google it. Uh, and I, I think it illustrates the beauty and the frustration of faith so well. Um, it, it, it's the idea that it uh, relies on or exists by or struggles toward and is persuaded by something difficult to prove. That faith is, uh, it relies on, exists by, and struggles towards something that's difficult to prove. And, and Capon says this, he says, faith doesn't do anything. It simply enables us to relate ourselves to someone who has already done whatever it is that needs to be 
needs doing. Uh, Or as Paul puts it in verse 13, the God who has the ability to strengthen our hearts. It is uh, enabling us to relate to the God who strengthens our hearts. Here's the example that Capon uses. The example is this. I'm in the hospital. I have broken every bone in my body and my entire house needs to be painted at the same time. And you, because you are so kind and such a kind and gracious person, you come visit me in the hospital. Well, I guess you can't come visit me because of COVID. You call me while I'm in the hospital and um, you ask me what I need. And I say, I need my house painted. And then you call back the next day and you say, Lindsay, I have paid a contractor who came out and painted your entire house for you. And it looks great. It looks perfect. In that moment, in the hospital with every bone in my body broken, I cannot know that my house has been painted. And I cannot check for myself. Uh, I can't check myself out of the hospital um, and go check all my bones are broken. And my faith, it it didn't have the ability to get my house painted. I couldn't sit there with just the faith uh, that you might magically get it in your brain to get it done, um, to paint my house. Me summoning tons of faith wouldn't make you do the job. Faith alone isn't what gets the job done. Uh, Robert Capon explains illustration like this. He says, faith doesn't fix houses. Carpenters and painters do. Faith doesn't pay bills either. Faith, therefore, is not a gadget by which I can work wonders. Faith is the trust in the person who can actually work them, who has promised me that he already has. This is, in, this is important. Uh, faith is what leads us to action. It is the cognitive and volitional disposition of trust in the one who has done and already uh, what already needed to be done. The one who is in the business of making all things new. Uh, The job of faith is putting us in what we said a couple of weeks ago, in the presence of, in dangerous proximity to the one who has done and will do more than we could ever ask or imagine. It is a persuasion toward the holy, a disposition toward the trust that all things will be made right. Faith means following Jesus into a wild world as a future person, Uh, unsure of where you're going maybe, but trusting uh, where he says that it will go. Knowledge and faith are two different ballgames. Knowledge has a requirement of proof, but faith, it is beyond the bounds of proof. That's why Nietzsche called faith uh, the suicide of reason. Faith, it is stepping out into something unknown, uh, mysterious even, with anticipation, with volition and perseverance, with the trust that there is more to the story than what's going on right in front of our faces. And what a week for that, right? It isn't an easy thing to prove, but here's what I believe with all of my heart There is more to the story than what is right in front of your face. There's more to the great story than the craziest election I've ever seen, uh, than a virus, than a lack of justice and peace for so many people. The news tells the story of a world gone mad, but Jesus is telling a bigger and a wider and I think a far more exciting and interesting story of of a world in need of hope and love and faith and of the God who can make all of that possible. I want to end our time together like I have quite a few times recently and read a quote from Frederick Buechner that woke some things up in me that, that, that I thought were interesting this week. So here's what he says. 
He says, almost nothing that makes any real difference can be proved. I can prove the law of gravity by dropping a shoe out the window. I can prove that the world is round if I'm clever at that sort of thing. Uh, that the radio works, that light travels faster than sound. But I cannot prove that life is better than death or that love is better than hate. I cannot prove the greatness of the great or the beauty of the beautiful. It is not the job of faith to prove anything. The job of faith is to point to the Jesus that moves us into trust and moves us into hope and moves us into love and moves us into action. The action of gaining knowledge, the action of following, the action of healing, the action of learning to see and bring about the work of the kingdom wherever we go. So, we're going to take a minute and be still. We call it Selah. It's a quiet moment, a holy pause. And I want to kind of set it up for you. If now is not a good time for you to take a quiet minute, my hope is that, that you will. Sometime today that you will take a moment and be quiet and, and think about this question. Um, my hunch is, uh, like so many, uh, maybe many of you, like so many people right now, are finding yourself in some sort of struggle of faith or crisis of faith or or just a, a, a lack of faith, however however you would uh, describe that. And, and the first thing I want to say is you are not alone and you are so welcome. Uh, at, at its best, I truly believe that the church is a place where we're supposed to get to ask questions, not the place where we're supposed to know all the answers. And so uh, maybe this is self-serving because I don't feel like I have all the answers. But, um, but second, I wonder if part of your faith struggle has to do with feeling like uh, there isn't any room in faith to struggle. Uh, it has to do with using faith as a noun instead of a verb. Or maybe part of the struggle is the object of trust. Uh, Robert Capon, who quoted a lot today, he says that most often when we find ourselves in a faith crisis, Jesus normally isn't what our problem is. But instead, it's the things that we have believed about Jesus or the systems that we have put around Jesus. Uh, that's certainly been true for me. Uh, maybe not for you, but definitely for me. I have uh, often found in moments of great doubt or great struggle, my problem is not so much with Jesus as it is that things have not worked out the way I decided Jesus would or could uh, or should do things that, or work things out. Uh, not always, but often for me, the issue has not been that Jesus didn't hold up, uh, but that my ideologies about Jesus uh, or even the structures I had around Jesus or the structures I was given by others about Jesus were uh, what was not holding up. Again, it's not the job of faith to prove everything. The job of faith is to point to Jesus and to move us into trust and hope, into love, into action. So let's just sit here for a little while. Hope you'll take a minute. Um, and sit in this question, what does faith look like for you right now? And not only do I hope you sit in it, will you tell somebody? Will you take somebody that you trust and give them an honest answer? What does faith look like for you right now? Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then I want to read the last verse that Annie read for us from First Thessalonians. So, Father, um, I pray. I pray for our church. I pray that... Um, that you would make us a people of great faith, that you would um, move in us in a way uh, that we would turn to you, that we would, um, that our trust would turn to you, that uh, what we believe would 
turn to you. I pray that you would come near in our struggle and come near in our doubt. I pray, um, as we said that we should, for extra deposits of faith. That, um, and that you would shift in us our volition, that you would um, shift in us our wills, that we would, um, in an intentional act, turn toward you. And um, may you, the Lord, make uh, our love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. And may you, as a result, make our hearts strong, blameless, and holy as we stand before you, God our Father, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Amen.